and welcome to Freshly Squeezed True Crime. A true crime Florida only comedy podcast. I'm Renee. I'm Suhaley. <laughs> Why are you looking at me like that? Because we never open like that. And I like the I'm Renee. We usually say hi to each other. Hi, Renee. Hi, Suhaley. How are you? I'm actually really good. How are you? I am lovely. Lovely. Yes. That's a word. It is. It's nice. So it's the first time we're recording in two weeks. Except for, you know, five minutes ago, but that was different. (laughs) (laughs) What is even happening? Well, okay, so this episode's going to come out on Labor Day weekend. So I decided to research a Labor Day case. And I literally (laughs) typed in Florida, Labor Day, true crime. And this popped up and I'm like, oh, fun. (laughs) Oh, goody. (laughs) And then the deep dive. (laughs) And then the bullshit started. This is not fun. <laughs> I want this is out. Not what I thought it was going to be. I want out. But it turns out the case is is actually a little more famous. Like I've never heard of it, but it it's been on like true crime shows, which I didn't do my usual. I watched a true crime show and I had no more time, and I picked it to Florida. I was like, "Wee, here's my show." No, like I started researching this one first, and then realized it was on some shows. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> You really putting in the work, huh? Thanks. A for effort, sis. But then I ran out of time, so we'll see how the ending goes. <laughs> and that's my case. Wait, what about the ending? I mean, what about it? <laughs> y'all have Google. <laughs> Look for it, you damn. This is everybody's homework. <laughs> Your homework is to go figure out what happened next. And the first one that tells me gets a shirt. <laughs> I've only got small left. All right. Today, our story takes place in Titusville, Florida. Titusville is located in Brevard County and is about 50 miles east of Orlando. Not Titusville. <laughs> Titties. It's spelled Titusville. I know. Titusville. Titusville. Titus. Titus, Titus, Titus. All right. So <laughs> <laughs> Are we stopping to laugh at tits before? No, I'm laughing at that deep ass eye roll you just did. I'm eye rolling at the amount of people that are in this story. Oi. Yeah. So there's a whole bunch of people in the story. So I'm going to do the best I can to keep it all straight. Please interrupt me at any time if you need <laughs> clarification on any of the people. Okay. Why are you laughing? This is what I wrote. I'm oh. reading you what I wrote this morning. You, s- you really wrote that? Please interrupt me at any time. Oh you need clarification on any of the people. You're just as bad as me with my sections and my. Who the fuck is this guy? I always have sections. You know that from the one episode where I'm like this rich bitch. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oops, I wasn't supposed to read that part. <laughs> I'm also go. not going to mention the names of any of the children in the story due to privacy reasons. Okay. A lot of the quotes use the children's names, so I just a lot of the direct quotes I changed. Um, the next sentence, and I'll tell you right now that I changed a lot of direct quotes to remove children's names, as well as a couple words that are so offensive that I just refuse to say them. Very good. But fair warning, I will be saying a lot of offensive things in this episode. There will be a lot of profanity. Profanity. (laughs) That's when the whole family curses. That's my family. I'm just going to leave it. Homophobia, (laughs) racism, and verbal threats against children. And I'll let you also know right up front that no children are physically harmed in this. But emotional well-being after this? They're No, they're not doing okay. I'm assuming, but they're not. So let's go over to Titusville where we find ourselves in a wonderful neighborhood. It's the kind of place you hear about and think, that's a great place to raise your kids. And I know everything I just said makes it sound like sarcasm, but I'm being serious. (laughs) I wish you could see your face. We're going to the neighborhood of Whispering Oaks. You hear that? It's a whisper. Oaks. 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 (laughs) We're so fucking corny. That's what happens at two o'clock in the morning. It is two o'clock in the morning and I'm just now starting to read this story. It's great. And we just got back from some creepy shit that we'll tell you about in October. Mm Mm-hmm. Stay tuned in October. We've got like 31 days of podcasts. Meet us here. They're a minute long. Don't be too excited. So we go to Titusville, wonderful place. The neighbors are actually really all friendly with each other. They help each other out with really anything they can help with. They all hang out together after work and on weekends. 
You get the point. In 1998, William and Barbara Woodward move into 1960 Smith Drive. Two years later, they have their first child, a beautiful little baby girl. In 2002, Gary Hembry moves into the house across the street at 1950 Smith Drive. Over the years, the families become best friends, raising their kids together, helping each other out, you know, all that stuff I said earlier. Ten years later, in April 2012, a new family moves in next door to Gary at 1940 Smith Drive. And, you guessed it, everyone becomes best friends. Oh, move me out of this fucking neighborhood. Well, you'll like it better in a minute. No, you won't. No, That's I a won't. lie. You're going to hate this episode. Yay! Right! At this point, William and Barbara, and William goes by Billy, so I'm going to call him Billy from here on out. Oy, one of those, huh? Richard is Dick. Well, William is Billy. His dad was also William, so I think it was just for clarification. I'll never get some of those. And his dad, I just called Billy's dad throughout the episode because I didn't want to clarify which William I was talking about. (laughs) Like, Billy and his dad. His dad never gets named. I just did it. (laughs) You're welcome. All right, so at this point, Billy and Barbara have two kids, an 11-year-old girl and a 4-year-old boy. Gary has three kids around the same ages, and the new neighbors, Bruce and Carrie Blake, have two daughters that are 11 and 6 years old. So the families do a lot together. The kids have sleepovers at each other's houses. They go to the parks together. They help each other out in financial ways, too. Bruce Blake was struggling financially, and Billy helped him out by paying rent and utilities sometimes, and by buying food and clothes for the kids on occasion. But Billy couldn't really afford to help out. He was actually a veteran living on disability. He had been with the United States Army for four years, and in 1998, he had fallen through a rotten piece of wood, fell 12 feet down, and landed headfirst on a concrete slab. Oh my god. His skull fractured in several places, resulting in a lot of permanent brain damage, and the injuries prevented him from working. Also, from his time in Saudi Arabia during Desert Shield, he ended up with PTSD from the regular missile attacks that happened in the area during the war. So, (laughs) one of the things I found really cool was Billy's emotional support pets. Of course you did. You know how I feel about therapy dogs. Yes. Okay, so Billy's emotional support animals were chickens. Oh, okay. I'm so excited about this Oh my God, here we go. (laughs) Now I've seen numbers anywhere (laughs) saying that he's had 10 to 25 chickens at this point. He raised them and he trained them to be a part of his PTSD therapy. (laughs) That's not a sentence. Because you know all I'm thinking about right now is how bad I want PTSD chickens. Um, exactly. That's not a sentence. <laughs> it's a sentence. It's a part of this story. Oh, my God. Okay, continue. And I want them. Sue no, Haley. no. No. Don't tell me no. Don't tell me what to do. No. So the chickens kind of became a neighborhood thing, too. All the kids loved them and would go over to Billy's and play with them because they were really super friendly because they were raised to be that way. And of course, as an extra bonus, all the neighbors got free eggs. Billy and his kids would go around giving out free eggs to all the neighbors. It was really kind of Oh my of God, I think I know the story from just what you just said. Yeah, what? Because I remember when I was watching the episode, I was like, I don't want those fucking eggs. <laughs> I don't why? know why. I don't know. I don't know. When I watched the episode, I thought that. What show? Oh my God, keep talking, you'll come to this me. This was on Fear Thy Neighbor. Yes. Jeez. Discovery ID. You've seen it? Yes. Fuck. Because I, I wanted it to be a surprise. Because I love that fucking show. Because I don't talk to my neighbors. Like, I don't know these people. Uh-huh. I don't know them. They don't know me. Don't look at me. Don't If they wave at me, I like I didn't see them. Because that's just me. Mm-hmm. And it's not because I'm not a friendly person. I've I am. in your neighborhood. I just, <laughs> I just don't want... I just don't want you in my business. Right. So stay the fuck away from me. <laughs> that was not this neighborhood. Okay. Oh, I'm so upset that you know the story. No, but it's a good fucking story. It is a good. Well, it's, it's not a, a good story. It's not, but I mean, it's it's one that needs to be fucking told for the obvious for what happens at the end. Mm-hmm. Oh, maybe you can finish the end for me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you think happens at the end because I didn't write it yet. I'm winging this one. <laughs> but it does is the pause button and go watch the episode. I watched the episode. So good. 
All right. So you see why I said in the beginning that it seemed like a really great place to raise a family. Yes. So do you have any questions about the people so far? Because I'm about to make it a lot more confusing. (laughs) Pull over. Pull over. Take notes. Take notes. No, but you're good? I'm good. All right. So in August of 2012, everything changed. Some people say it all started with a birthday incident that I'm about to describe, and other people say that it actually started when some people moved into Gary's house. First, his girlfriend, Kim Silsbury Cast, and her three kids moved Pillsbury. in. Silsbury. It's like Pillsbury <laughs> okay. with, with an S. Okay. Mm-hmm. Her and her three kids move in. Then Roger Picor moves in, and he's got three kids. Now, Kim will later testify in a couple different cases as to how many kids were living in this house, and her numbers vary by court case to court case, (laughs) so I'm really not sure. In one court case, she's like, I have three kids, and in another court case, she said, I have two kids, and like, this is all recorded court case. Okay, but maybe that they didn't like that kid. Maybe, maybe, but so we've got a minimum of three adults and six kids in this house. No, too, too much. Too much? Too much. Well, I did some extra research because so far it, that just sounds like a lot of people. And I realized, I learned that this is a 1,010 square foot home. Told you too fucking much. Three bedrooms. Oh my. One bathroom. Fuck it all. No. Also, Roger Bacor's girlfriend, Jessica Noble or Nobles. Anyway, his girlfriend and her three kids. I was about to say three kids. The rule of fucking three in this place. It's it's fucking insane how many times the number of kids changes. It's the fluoride. Roger's girlfriend, Jessica Nobles, and her kids don't move in, but they're almost always around too. I was reminded of the day and a half that you and I were on the vacation. We had to share a bathroom with 15 people. No. Like, could you imagine this is a minimum of nine people sharing a bathroom? No. No. And it's kids too, so you know it gets super annoying. Yes. There were no kids when we were on our thing. Thank God. All right. So let's discuss this birthday incident. August 4th was Billy's daughter's 12th birthday. A family friend came by and when no one answered the door, she left a present on the front porch. And then she called the next morning to ask, you know, if the daughter liked the gift. But there was no gift. They checked the porch. They checked, you know, inside the house. There was no gift. So backing up a bit, there had been a few incidents in the Woodward's home where some of the children's candy or small toys would go missing, and they noticed it happened when one of Gary's daughters visited. But they never really said anything because they decided, you know, we're friends, we want to keep the peace because we're neighbors too, and we're not going to have that much drama over a bit of missing candy and and toys. Mm -hmm. But this time it was different because it was a birthday present dropped off for their daughter's 12th birthday. So Billy decides that he's going to go over and ask the Hembrys about it. But knowing how things can get taken out of context and wanting to keep the peace, he thought it'd be a better idea if he asked a police officer to go over with him just to witness the conversation. Personally, like, why would you bring a cop to your friend's house? I know. For a conversation that's, yeah. And his wife kind of said the same thing and asked him not to do it. But Billy heads over anyway, and he brings his police officer with him. Now, the officer just stands back, kind of as a witness, as Billy tells Gary that the present's missing, and he asks if his daughter may have seen it. Well, Gary gets angry, and then he calls his daughter out, and as soon as she comes out and sees the police officer, she bursts into tears. Oh my... Okay. Guilty fucking conscience. Much? (laughs) But as soon as his daughter bursts into tears, Gary gets super angry and starts yelling at Billy for making his daughter cry. <laughs> Look what you fucking did! Yeah. So Billy apologizes. You know, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to make your daughter cry. Let's just drop this, whatever. And he leaves and goes home. Okay. Billy considers whatever matters dropped. Like, I brought it up. I asked him. It's over. It's They're over. not going to be helpful. Whatever. Well, now Gary's angry. <laughs> And he doesn't want to drop this. <laughs> My turn. <laughs> so he grabs a camera and he heads over to Billy's place and he starts taking pictures of the house and of the chickens. Now, everyone in the neighborhood knows that these chickens are in a violation of zoning ordinances. Of course it is. Yeah. But nobody ever cared because everybody's friends. 
So when Gary starts taking these pictures, it's obvious that, you know, he, he's about to do something. He's going to report it. And he does. He calls co- code enforcement. But seeing him take the pictures, Billy heads out to confront him. And by then, Gary's back on his own property. And you'll see throughout the story that property lines are extremely important to everybody <laughs> in the story. It's like they're constantly, like, cross over the line. I wish Come you on. fucking would. I wish you would cross onto this line. I double dog dare you it's like it's like they think that there's like this protective border around electric fence it's such a big deal to all these people i was still on my property i was i called them over to my property (laughs) (laughs) and they figure they can do whatever they want as long as they're on their own property okay and it's it just America. later explains that that's not really how it works, but they still fucking do it after that's that. That's right. They didn't get it. It's America. So Billy goes out into the street and he starts yelling at Billy. And, and now Gary's yelling back at, and they're engaged in this altercation. Again, Gary's on his own property. So <laughs> Remember that. It remember. <laughs> but this, all this yelling is starting to draw a lot of tension from all yeah. the other neighbors. And at some point, somebody calls the police. Now, I forgot to mention it before, but it seems like a good time. The people in this neighborhood, for whatever reason, are always outside. <laughs> like, everybody <laughs> hangs out outside their homes. That's not my neighborhood, but okay. Anytime something happens, you have people just joining in or... And by the way, it's not your neighborhood either. No. Because I never see a human outside when I'm driving to your house. Really? Yeah. You don't come at the right time. Sometimes people walk their dogs. Don't do that. They won't wave back at you. <laughs> okay. So I, because, you know, I don't like my neighbors because they're super unfriendly. <laughs> I wave super aggressively, like with a big ass fucking, do- I look like a crazy woman. <laughs> <laughs> like they know it bothers them that somebody bothered them on oh their walk. Oh, Lord. Like, okay. How dare you wave at me is the attitude. Shove your arm up your ass. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I'm physically possible. Like, how do you? Never mind. All right. <laughs> so, as this argument is taking place, everyone is watching as Billy takes it up a notch and calls Gary out into the street. He lifts his shirt, saying, I'm unarmed. Come out in the street and let's fight. When Gary doesn't come out into the street to fight him, Billy sits in a chair and holds his middle fingers up at him. Okay. <laughs> and because somebody had called the police, the police arrive. Also, along with the police, is Billy's dad. Because Billy's wife had called his dad and said, you need to come over, something's going on. Come get your son. <laughs> Billy's parents live less than a mile away and they're often coming over to help out and stuff. Well, when Billy's dad gets there... Gary's roommate, Roger Picor, starts threatening him, calling him an old man, saying he's going to take a golf club and smash his skull in. What the fuck? (laughs) That fucking escalated. (laughs) Like, all of a sudden, like, this other fucking guy that lives there is insulting (laughs) Billy's dad, and I'm like, it fucking escalated. So, the police arrive, and they calm everyone down, and they start to take statements. Gary and his crew say that Billy was flashing a gun and threatening them with it. Other neighbors swear that he was unarmed, never threatened to use a gun. The police take the statements and they search Billy and they find two empty knife knife sheaths and a small pocket knife. So, no guns. Mm -hmm. But this is where everything starts to change in this neighborhood. And people now begin to take sides. There are almost daily incidents that start to occur. On one side, you have the Hembry and Blank residences. So that's Gary Hembry, Kim Cast, Roger Pacor, Jessica Nobles, Bruce Blake, and Carrie Blake. Okay. On the other side, you have Billy and Barbara Woodward, and just about all the rest of the neighbors. <laughs> <laughs> now, I've written this episode a few times, and it started getting really confusing. But a couple witnesses in later trials, and one of them being a police officer that lived in the neighborhood, they started referring to the whole Hembry and Blake side of things as a gang. What the fuck? I know. And whether or not their actions would actually be classified as gang activity, <sighs> it, it kind of made the story less confusing when I started referring to them as a gang. So okay. if, if you don't mind... 
From now on in the story, I'm going to be like the gang the versus gang? the neighbors. Oh my God. The Bloods versus the Crips. It makes it so much easier because I've got like, what? Oh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven adults that mm-hmm. are a part of this group and then everybody else in the neighborhood. So. Okay. The gangs versus the neighbors. The sharks versus the jets. Sure. So like I said, there's almost daily altercations of some sort. The gang hangs out on the corner, which is the corner of Gary Hembry's property. So it's easier if I show you a map, but, you know, visual audio. Mm -hmm. So let me try to explain. The houses are at an intersection in the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. You have Billy's house on one corner. And then Gary's house on the corner right across the street. Okay. And the Blake's are like on the other side behind them. And the way that the houses are angled, if you stand in the corner of Gary's property, you're kind of facing the front of Billy's house. Okay. So what they do is they'd stand at this corner mm-hmm. and just shout at Billy's house. house. Yep. So the whole gang hangs out in front of these houses on this corner. They claim to everyone that'll listen that everything started when Billy accused Gary's daughter of breaking and entering and thievery. They say Billy claims the girl stole some duct tape from his house and called the cops on her. Jesus. And so this is a story that everyone in the gang starts to believe because there's only like one or two people. I think like Carrie and Kim are the only ones that know the actual real story. Everybody else believes this duct tape bullshit. And then they also say that Billy threatened them with a gun over the duct tape. So (laughs) a few people were taking their side because they're like, that's fucked up a Billy. Like, that's not what fucking happened. So when Gary called code enforcement, that's when the chickens were also taken away from Mm. Billy. I know. And as it's happening, they're sitting there watching, yelling, the chickens are gone. We won. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. that day on they're yelling stuff like that and eat more chicken and other things every time the family walks by yeah um i'm just gonna go over a a few incidents when barbara and the kids walk the family dog they threaten that they're gonna shoot the dog things like that so billy starts being the only one that's walking the dog one day the gang turns their trained pit bulls loose when billy's walking by and one of them gets within inches of his dog when billy pulls out a knife and holds it to the dog's throat and holds the dog back off of his dog. And he looks over and he's like, if y'all don't call your dogs back, I'm going to fucking stab it. So they called their dogs back, but now they're offended because, you know, their dog got threatened. Yes. On another occasion, Billy and his father are out walking the dog when out of nowhere, Roger Procor appears out of nowhere and he screams, I'm going to take a baseball bat to the fucking old man and teach him something. What is it with him and the old man? I don't fucking know. <laughs> Maybe he didn't have a father and he's jealous. Who knows? Because he keeps going after the old man. He does. It's fucking weird. Yes. And no one's safe from the harassment. At school, the kids are all taunting and threatening Billy's daughter. Barbara went over to speak to Kim about it, and Kim said, I'll have my kids harass her up until she just can't function anymore. (laughs) Wow. Yep. So Billy's now at the bus stop, like, every day before and after school, making sure that his daughter can get home safe. It's fucking ridiculous. And then, of course, things escalate further. They have to. At some point, one of the women put up a sign at their house that read, No Hillbillies. And they either bolded or underlined the word Billy, so it's pretty obvious who the sign is targeting. And so on August 11th, one of the neighbors named William Smith takes offense to the sign and he walks over to Billy's house to discuss it with him. Now, Billy, recognizing that William has had a drink or two. There's so many Williams in this story. Yes, there are. He simply tells him it's not a big deal. Just go home and forget about it. And he decides to walk William home. Well... William decides that he's not going to let it go. So as they're walking past the house. So he's not like Anna and Elsa. No, he's not letting it go. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for the Disney reference. Thank you. So as he's walking past, you know, the, these houses, he starts yelling at them about this sign and telling him it's inappropriate. And he's just like starting this argument. And Billy's just like sitting in the back. He's like, I'm just going to watch and make sure that this doesn't get too out of hand, but he's not engaging. So Roger does his thing. To the old man. Because it's a new old man. Oh, okay. This this neighbor was an old man too. Jesus Christ. (laughs) He picks up a golf club and walks to the bottom of the property saying, come on, let's get you in the yard. Let's do this in your yard. What the fuck? Once you get in my yard, you're breaking the law and I can rip you (laughs) and you'll still go to jail. Oh my God. Okay. 
And that's where Billy decides to kind of jump in because it's escalated. And once Billy gets involved, so does everyone else. Kim Cass tells Billy that she's going to have his 12-year-old daughter kidnapped, raped, and beat up. And then she's going to have his house burned down. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Escalation real fucking quick, right? Mm. And let me let me say that again because it shocked you so I bad. know. I'm sorry. No, I you're allowed you to fucking have Jesus. a reaction. I just she says that and I'm not using the direct quotes at all in any of these sentences. So just just know that remember when I said I changed some words because I refused to say some? Kim Cass tells Billy she's gonna have his twelve year old daughter kidnapped, raped, and beat up, then she's gonna have his house burned down. Mm, fucking escalation no and then carrie blake is standing there and she decides oh i can do better than that i'm gonna hire a big black man to fuck her up the ass Mm. Mm -hmm. okay and then they're all gonna take turns on her and roger and jessica start agreeing and repeating it too because you know this just sounds like the greatest fucking threat of of all time so Billy flies into an absolute fucking rage. As would everybody else. And old man William's like trying to hold him back. Mm-hmm. And William yells, you do that and I will disembowel you and eat your guts. There we go. Mm-hmm. Well, the police are called. No one's arrested. And apparently Carrie didn't like that threat. So her and the others all head to the courthouse and all file injunctions against Billy. Mm-hmm. In return, Billy tries to file an injunction against them, but he's told that he can't. He's told you can't file an injunction against people that have already filed one against you. No, 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 boo boo, stick your head in doo doo. And since we're all at the courthouse, Billy's father files an injunction against Roger Pacor. Because he called him an old man. Because he keeps wanting to bash the old man's skull in. <laughs> With the fucking golf club. <laughs> <laughs> So, <laughs> on August 29th, 2012, everyone's at the courthouse taking turns speaking with Judge Moxley about these injunctions. <laughs> I'm sure that fucking judge was riveted with this bullshit. Can you imagine being the judge that day with this bullshit? I'm going to ask you in a few minutes how you felt about this judge, okay? Hold that thought. Billy's father, who is also named William, <laughs> has filed an injunction against Roger Picor. For repeat domestic violence. He tells the judge that he's afraid that Roger is capable of carrying out the threats because of his previous criminal background. Judge Moxley says that because there's no whip and in Roger's hands during the times of the threat, and that he was also not close enough to strike him, it's not considered violence. Injunction denied. Carrie Blake filed a repeat violence injunction against Billy about the two incidents, the one where he threatened Gary with a gun in the street, and the second where Billy threatened to disembowel her. She denied threatening to have his daughter sodomized. Of and was in fear of her life because he was threatening to disembowel her. And that's just so fucking wrong. She needs an injunction. Was she clutching her pearls too? I think so. Okay. Kim Cast. I know her name's Kim Silsbury Cast, but I'm just doing Kim Cast from now on. It's too long. And, and there's places where she goes by one name and another. And I just, whatever. So I'm going with the short one. Well, some people can't even keep their fucking kids straight, so. These people can't do that either. (laughs) So, Kim, this is the one that can't keep her kids straight. I know. She files a repeat violence injunction for the incident involving the gun threat. So, now the judge decides to hear what this is all about. What's this bullshit? (laughs) Billy explains to the judge he didn't have a gun. And he brought in witnesses from the neighborhood to testify in his defense, Mm -hmm. as well as the four police officers that showed up that day to, you know. Take the report. Exactly. The judge doesn't listen to any of the testimony of any of the witnesses Billy brings. In fact, he yells at Billy for bringing police officers into the court, saying, the Titusville police force have other things to do. do. We are not Orlando, fortunately, but these folks need to be about securing the safety of the citizens in the city. They don't need to be doing this. Then he explains to the others that he's not granting the injunction. I ain't granting shit. While he says that he believes Kim and Carrie that, yes, Billy is lying about this gun, it isn't enough. There have to be two different instances of violence in two different places for this type of injunction to be granted. Then he tells them all to stop their behavior, make believe like they're in church because police have better things to do. They're public servants and they shouldn't be wasting their time. 
I mean, he has a fucking point. He does have a point. He tells them all to grow up and stop grow their the bullshit. Grow the fuck up. Mm-hmm. And go inside your house. That's why you paid fucking mortgage for. Stop hanging out outside. It's fucking August in Florida. And that's a, it's too fucking hot. I don't know how it was that year because I didn't look up the weather. It's this Hades. Year, what did we say today's day was? Where the fuck is my phone? Today's the 20th. <laughs> Thank you. Today's August 20th. It's 2.26 a.m. It is hotter than Satan's taint. Hold on. It is 79 degrees out. Mm-hmm. And it is 2.30 a.m. Mm-hmm. This is the coolest it's actually been yes. at 2 a.m. in a very long fucking time. Yes. We've had... This year, warnings that it feels like 115 outside. Like, we've had warnings not even go the fuck outside this summer. Yep. And it's August. So, yeah, these people are hanging out all fucking August outside. Go inside. Go inside. Turn on the fucking air conditioner. God. That's why these people are all angry. It's By the, the way, they're sitting out in the heat. Yep. Anyway, let's go back to this case. So, in the courthouse, after this injunction hearing... The groups are separated and Billy and his family are held back and made to wait 15 minutes before leaving so that all the others have Mm -hmm. plenty of time to leave the courthouse. Well, Gary and Kim decide that they're going to wait by their car and start to harass Billy as soon as they come out of the courthouse. Because we're eight. Billy does not hold back this time. He runs over and punches Gary. Gary responds by jumping into his car. (laughs) But Billy, he didn't really want to fight. But Billy's quick. He grabs the seatbelt and he tries to pull Gary back out of the car. Billy's mom and wife are trying to pull him back. But he, he's like such in a rage that he throws them back and they end up hitting their heads on the fucking sidewalk. <sighs> Kim comes around, puts her cigarette out in Billy's ear. Right. And as one does. All of a sudden, a mysterious stranger comes and sprays pepper spray on them all and, and takes off. <laughs> Just drive by squirting. It was. It really was. <laughs> every source I looked at, because I'm like, surely there's a different way of telling this story. Now, everything that I'm telling you comes from the court case. I read the 15 fucking thousand pages. It was 15,000 pages. You couldn't ask intern Jamie to read it for you? Jamie's not here. Dot com. So... <laughs> I, I read, so I got, I mean, I just took it all from the court case because I read that all. I didn't, I mean, I did look at newspapers and stuff, but none of this is quoted from the newspapers and okay. stuff. I had enough material. For, but I looked at newspapers and I looked at other sources to see what the hell this is. Nope. It's stated a little differently per source. One source is like, this arm just came over my head and sprayed Billy and then disappeared. And I never saw the guy. There is this mysterious pepper spraying stranger out there somewhere. Jesus. He breaks shit up and disappears. (laughs) (laughs) So, (laughs) So, after the mysterious sprayer disappears, Billy ends up being arrested and charged with battery. He's given a notice to appear to court and sent home. So something else that I wondered here that never got brought up anywhere, isn't this number two? Yeah. Judge Moxley said two instances, Just two separate locations. Why didn't they go back fucking in and get an injunction? I know. So my theory is they didn't really want an injunction. They just wanted to fuck with Billy. Yep. After the fight, Barbara heads home and Billy's parents stick around at the courthouse to give him a ride home. Now, something else that I haven't mentioned yet is that I don't have dates for it, but at some point, Billy's father had bought him a surveillance camera and helped him install it outside the house. So for most of August, we have um, video and audio of just about every single thing that happened. And you can hear a lot of what's said. So the gang also installs a floodlight and a camera on the Hembry property, And for some reason, they never turn their camera on or use it. There's, like, no footage. But they turn on that floodlight, and they direct it directly into Billy's front of his house so that it's always fucking daytime in the front of Billy's house. Like, so fucking aggressive, these people. (laughs) (laughs) They're aggressive, aggressive. So, yeah, everything I talk about from here on out is documented in video. So when Barbara gets home that day, the gang's all waiting around outside, and as soon as she gets out of the car, they immediately start harassing her. She ignores them and goes inside. When Billy gets home, they do it again. He turns to them and he says, if y'all want to fight, I'll fight you too. I'll fuck you all up. 
And that's when his mother grabs him by the arm and drags him inside <laughs> saying, God damn it, just get in the house. This motherfucker thought he was Chuck Norris and got put in his place. A judge later says that Billy's wife and his mother are the only two people in this entire situation who were adults. Yes. Go inside. Uh. So once inside, they all start lecturing Billy. Here's what's going to happen from now on. You are not to engage. You are not to respond. You are not to go outside and interact with these people. Don't say another word. If you hear them, go in the house. Don't fucking interact. That should that should be. We don't title our episodes, but if we did, that's the title of the fucking episode. Don't interact. Go the fuck inside. Go the fuck. Get inside. the fuck inside. It's hot out. God. They also make plans to move. So Billy's sad to leave the house that he's been in for the past fourteen years and raise his kids in and all this shit. But his dad's realtor friend finds some house where he can have his chickens back. So he he actually gets happy and really excited. And so his parents bring over this trailer so they can start, like, packing up the house and shit. The new plan is that while they're waiting for the new house to be ready, Barbara and the kids are going to go stay at her parents' house because they live in town, too. Okay. And Billy's going to go stay at his parents' house. And it's only going to be, like, a short time. They're just waiting for the people to move out of the other house. So... After the injunction hearing, the gang decides to step it up again. (laughs) They tell people that they're doing everything they possibly can to make Billy snap. Oh, shit. They're telling people this, though. They know all about his PTSD and other issues, and they really want to see how far they can push him. Unbelievable. There's no real order to all that happens next, so I'm just going to list a bunch of the things that happen. The threats get worse. They never end. There's people all hours of the day and night now at the corner yelling threats at Billy's house, and nothing's off limits. I I just really pick and choose a bunch of stuff here. This is not everything. But Bruce Blake at one point walks by Billy's mom one day telling her, we have shotguns now. Roger changes his Facebook photo to one of him holding an AR-15-223. Billy sees this photo. Later, he'll testify that, yes, he knew what this gun was. And he says, that rifle right there can reach out and touch you accurately from 300 yards plus. It can go through glass, a door, drywall, stud walls. He could basically shoot from his property into the house and kill us all. Unbelievable. Mm -hmm. Now, before the injunction hearing, there was a temporary injunction in place, and Billy was forced to give up all of his weapons. He had given them all to his dad for safekeeping. And during this time after the hearing, the police are called out several times. In fact, during the month of August, the police were called out 86 times. Oh, my God. In the month. That reminds me of the Xbox murders. Remember? Mm -hmm. There was six calls Mm -hmm. in like eight days. It's insane. Okay. This is 86 times in one month. No one's ever arrested or anything, but there was a day when him, when Billy and his father were talking to the officers about how the gang was threatening them with guns. And the officers basically told them the best they could do was come out if they were called and occasionally patrol the area. But they kind of told Billy he should arm himself. So right there in front of the officers, Billy says that I don't. So right there in front of the officers, Billy's father gave him his weapons back and Billy arms himself. Mm-hmm. And then the officers go on their merry way. Unbelievable. And there's, so I didn't put it in here because it, I, I didn't take the direct quotes from that part of the um, the court cases because I don't, I don't remember why not. But like every time the police were called, Billy was telling the police officers, I have PTSD. This is not good. They are going to push me too far one of these days. Something's going to happen. Like, Billy's telling the cops, like, I'm really fucking scared on how I'm going to react if something isn't done about this. Like, he's warning yeah, the police officers. absolutely. So, it's also, it's no secret now that both sides are arms. Carrie's dad worked at a pawn shop as a clerk, and he had access to tons of weapons. The gang also had a friend who was a huge gun collector and was said to be a great marksman. And they'd constantly threaten on camera that they had other weapons too. Mostly they mentioned baseball bats and golf clubs. Bruce happened to be a welder and had a bunch of custom-made weapons too. He called them shark killers. 
They were chains with like metal spikes on the end. Oh my God. Or balls with metal spikes <laughs> welded to them on a chain. <laughs> like these things, I saw the pictures they of them. They look medieval. The they looked scary as fucking Hell shit. Yeah. And so, yeah, he's like welding his own fucking weapons over there. And with this increase of threats was also an increase of who they were threatening. Any neighbor that had shown up to court to testify on Billy's behalf for the injunction, even though they never testified, they were now getting targeted. Yep. Everyone in the neighborhood was scared. Kids were not going outside anymore. Neighbors were staying in their homes. Nobody was fucking leaving their house. Remember what a happy fucking neighborhood yes. this was in the beginning? Now, everybody in the neighborhood is scared to go outside. Na Some people stopped walking their dogs. Like, it's a fucking mess. If Carrie Blake saw a neighbor, she'd mimic a gun with her finger and mouth pow-pow at them. And one woman, she actually made a comment, your husband's so fat, I'd have to shoot him twice. Nice, bitch. Mm -hmm. Still, nothing's being done. Another time, Billy was outside talking to a neighbor, and Gary and Kim are driving up, and they swerve their fucking car like they're going to hit them, and Billy and the neighbor had to jump out of the way while Carrie, Gary and Kim fucking drive off laughing. Again, the gang is constantly standing on the corner yelling threats at the Woodward house. They don't stop with their favorite threats either of kidnapping and gang raping Billy's daughter. And his kids are fucking petrified at this point too because they hear all this shit. Like so even his four-year-old son is like scared as shit at this point. So disgusting. Mm -hmm. They're also constantly threatening to burn the house down while the family is asleep at night. Like it's fucking horrible. So let's get to Labor Day weekend. Sunday, September 2nd, started off as a great day for the Woodworm family. It's their anniversary and they spend the day out doing things with friends and family. Billy's also getting really excited about moving into the new kit, the new home and getting his chickens back. Mm -hmm. um, the kids go swimming that day. Like, it, it's just a whole great day. And at the end of the day, the Woodwards end up at Billy's house um, with his parents and then he walks his parents out to their car at the end of the evening, you know, so that they're safe. Like, mm -hmm. at this point, everybody's walking everybody everywhere. Yep. Like, nobody's alone. And the the gang starts yelling. There's there's kids on bikes, and they're yelling, be careful. They're going to hit you with their car. Like, insinuating that Billy's parents are just going to run over yes. these kids. And then Billy ignores it. So Bruce yells, I'm still here, as Billy's, like, walking into the house. They're mm -hmm. just... Like, anytime somebody goes outside, like, the yelling, like, just increases. So because it's Labor Day weekend, there's a big party going on it, it, at the Hembury residence. And, of course, everybody's outside for the party because mm. why would anybody be indoors? It's hot. There's drinking, pot smoking, an overall feeling of safety and boldness and numbers going on. I think the easiest way to do this is to go by the timeline of what the surveillance video shows for that night. Some of what you hear is just conversations between the people across the street. You don't always hear the replies. Other things are direct things yelled towards the house. So it's really a mashup of more of the important quotes that I'm going to give you. But keep in mind, there's a time between quotes um, for other things to be happening. Again, it was over 15,000 pages of court documents. And this is just kind of what I, I picked and choose out of it. Yes. I'll also remind you that I took out the quotes that have the racial and hobo homophobic content. So, I mean, I left some in, but just remember like all that sprinkled in too and I'm just not reading that stuff. Around 10 p.m. you start to hear some of the more concerning quotes. At 10 p.m. you start to hear some more of the, some of the more concerning quotes. One of the women asks, how many guns have you brought? A bit later you hear Roger saying, come on, let's get him out, I'll fight him. Another woman yells, fight to the death. Yeah, Roger. Bruce says, what are we doing here? Roger, I'm ready. If he were coming out, he would come out right there and points to one of the doors of Billy's house. Gary, come outside, bitch. And Jessica's yelling, eat more chicken because she's original as fuck. Oh, as a KFC pun. <laughs> woman, eat more chicken is um, Chick-fil-A. No, what did you say after that? Because she's original. Seven herbs and spices. <laughs> we got all the chicken herbs in this house. <laughs> One woman says, oh my God, oh my God, what are we doing? What are we doing? Like all excited wanting to get in on it. And Carrie's like, burn it, burn it, burn it. Again, all the other threats that have been going on like all fucking month are still yes. going on, but I'm not reiterating those. Bruce goes, 
When we get him to snap, we got his ass. Right now, right fucking now, if he would come out and fight, I've done it plenty of times. You see how white my knuckles are? I also know how to kill. Y'all ain't gonna do it. Y'all ain't going to. You gonna come out and fight? His daughter will get 25 a day on. Look it up. How you like me now, bitch? No one ever knows what he meant by his daughter will get 25 over a day on. That doesn't make any sense. No fucking sense. And he ne- he's like, I don't remember saying that. Nobody ever fucking clarifies that. Carrie says he's going to jail. Going to jail. I don't even believe that. You're just talking shit. But if he goes to jail. At 10.54, you hear four gunshots. Later, they're all like, oh, it was fireworks. This is on video. The fucking sky would have lit up if it was fireworks. <laughs> 11 p.m. Bruce, we got a gun? Gary says, nah. Roger says, oh, we do. And they start walking towards Billy's house. They gut up against Barbara's minivan and have a discussion about how they don't give a fuck. A female calls to them, be careful, he's got a gun. Gary walks back towards his house. Bruce and Roger continue talking. Wonder what her pussy tastes like, her raw pussy. And then they have a three and a half minute conversation about a gun that ends with, be careful, it might be loaded. At some point, Roger and Bruce head back across the street. And you hear Bruce say, ain't nothing gonna happen to me. I'm gonna have a stroke on her. I'm gonna have a fucking, I'm gonna have a ball fucking her. Bruce is heard having a conversation where he's buying a gun from Kim. What about 60? 65? (laughs) 85. I just want a fucking gun. Careful, it might be loaded. 11.50 p.m. The floodlight across the street goes off and the music is turned up. A group goes out and burns what looks like a flag in the yard yelling, white power, KKK, I didn't know you were a racist. Billy will later say he thought they had a Molotov cocktail, not a flag. Okay. 12 a.m. At 12.06, Billy decides to stop watching the surveillance video and leaves his house. He's flat on his stomach, army crawling behind his truck, and then across the street. So from here on out, Billy's hiding in the bushes or something, actively listening to the entire conversations going on over there. Unfortunately, we only get what's picked up by the microphone on the other side of the street. Roger says, let's do it again. And someone tells, says, tell him to fuck you while you're over there. Comments are yelled towards the house again, slash and burn. Fuck you, Billy. Roger goes all out with, fuck you, Billy. Goddamn plastic G.I. Joe. Your father probably raped you. Fuck you and your mother and your father. Fucking cunt. He's heard answering somebody else with, no, believe me, if I did, we'd all know about it. I remember, oh, you were there for that? There's a conversation about someone else beating up Billy and Roger says, you just got your ass whooped and in return to shoot him for something that doesn't even hurt? That wasn't no claim. That was legal and constitutional, believe me. Again, we don't get like all sides of these conversations, but Billy at this point is hearing everything. They're pretty fucking bad. Mm Mm-hmm. Bruce says, come on, boys, we're going to end this. We're going together, all three of us. Carrie is heard saying, oh, my God, they're doing it. And she actually has fear in her voice for once. The guys are getting up saying, grab a bat. Grab. Did I already say that? Nope. Yeah. They're like, get up, grab a bat. Like they're they're like fucking. It sounds like they're starting to get fucking ready. And they're, Mm -hmm. you know, and now Kim really starts to freak out. You're awfully quiet, Gary. You're fucking quiet. Stop it. I'm not fucking kidding. Roger says, yeah, no, don't do that. Fucking pop. At this point, Billy's had enough. And this is where he gets up. He pulls out a gun and he starts shooting. He shoots Roger Bacor first. Then he shoots Gary Hembry. He turns on Bruce. Then he goes back and shoots Roger and Gary in the head. He heads back to shoot Bruce, but he's out of ammo. Gary died right right away, but Roger and Bruce were still alive when first responders arrived. Roger was able to hold on for a day or so before passing. Bruce was in a coma for four days, but ended up surviving. He had been shot 11 times. Bruce later tells the story from his viewpoint. He says that when he saw Roger go down after the first shot, he ran. He made it to the back door where he was pounding on it and yelling for Carrie and the kids to run and hide. After Billy shot him, he says, Billy says, I got that son of a bitch and walked off. At first, Bruce decided to play dead. But then he started to think that if he could distract Billy, that the others might live. So he tried to get up, but he said that it was so fucking slimy that he couldn't gain traction. So he just started yelling to Carrie and the kids, If y'all are still in there, I love you to death. As bad as I want to see you, don't come outside. And he tried to stay as awake as long as he could, but eventually he passed out. Oh my god. 
They sent him on a helicopter to Orlando Regional Medical, where he spent 10 to 11 days. And then he went to a rehab hospital for an extra 29 days. All in all, he had 13 surgeries. And by the time of the trial, which was like five and a half years mm -hmm. later, he still had two more to go. He said he lost 25% of his stomach, lost a foot and a half of large intestine, one foot of small intestine, 15% of his bladder, laser repair to his liver and spleen, a hernia removal and a mesh implant, and a knee reconstruction. Christ. Back to the shooting. After running out of ammo, Billy took off his jacket, placed it and the gun on the ground, and kneeled down, placing his hands behind his head, waiting for the police to arrive. As soon as Billy saw the first officer approach, before the Miranda was even read, he started talking, saying the war is over now. The officer quickly read him his rights and recorded the conversation. Billy started talking again. He was saying that if they rushed his house, he would have been trapped like a rat inside. So he put on his camouflage jacket, took his Beretta 9mm handgun loaded with 16 bullets, grabbed an additional magazine that had 15 bullets. He locked his front door, left out the rear door, locked it, leaving his kids keys outside so he could get back in. Then he low crawled over to the victim's property to avoid being seen and conducted surveillance on them. He shot the victims repeatedly in order to be certain they were dead. The officer that wrote the report wrote, he referred to the incident as a mission and that he was in a war zone. When questioned further, he stated that this was not a flashback and that he was lucid and knew what he was doing. He and his wife had had a discussion several days prior where she stated that she had a dream where she killed all of them, but denied thinking about committing the act for that length of time. He was armed with 31 total rounds, according to his statement, which consisted of two 15-round magazines with one projectile chambered. He expressed no remorse over his actions and believed that the incident was finished unless the wives or girlfriends of the victims attempted to wage war again. He did not believe that he deserved to be arrested because he felt the police department and judges involved in this case were ineffective. So he's arrested and he's charged. Count one, first degree premeditated murder with a firearm. Count two, first degree premeditated murder with a firearm. Count three, attempted first degree premeditated murder while inflicting great bodily harm with a firearm. They decided to seek the death penalty. Wow. Um, yeah. So at, at some point it gets lowered to not the death penalty. I don't know. Stuff, stuff like changed. Life, like life without parole? I, stuff changed. Um, because the mitigators for a death sentence are pretty high up there. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, granted, you could clearly say that this was premeditated. I mean, he went over there with that. He could say that that wasn't his intention. Then why did you bring, why did you bring, you know, what you brought with you? Mm -hmm. You stood there listening to everything that was being said. You could have easily have whimpered back to your house and you chose not to. Then again, he does suffer from PTSD. Mm -hmm. So could he have snapped that day? I mean, but the mitigators for a death sentence, they're pretty fucking high. Like the threshold. So he snapped, yeah, but he's watching these surveillance videos where mm -hmm. people are coming about now bringing guns over to his house. Mm -hmm. He thinks there's a Molotov outside mm -hmm. his house at one point. Like, they're actively talking about bringing guns over to his house. No, I know. And raping his family. I know. So. It's a mixture of that. Like I said, it's also the PTSD. Like, he just, mm -hmm. you know, in his head, he's thinking the very worst, right? And then if those... If those chickens were, you know, his support, you yeah. know, chickens, he hasn't had his support chickens in how long? Right. So it's it's a combination of everything. Well, to get an idea of where his mentality is, mm -hmm. his interview with the police officer after he was read the Miranda, he says, and, and some of this is para-quoting, some of it's not para-quoting, is that a thing? No. Paraphrasing. <laughs> I low crawled from my front door to the side yard of my house. I was tired of living in fear for my family, my life and their lives also. I snapped. I went back to the war zone. I shot three individuals, Bruce, Bruce Timothy Blake, Roger Picor, and Gary Lee Hembry. He's dead now because I shot him. He was retreating back into his house and I shot him multiple times to make sure he was dead. I think that statement he was referring to Bruce who actually lived. As for Gary, he says, he was shot in the torso when he went down. I followed him to the side of the car and I followed it up with multiple rounds and then one round to the head. 
As for Roger, he goes, Roger, I shot in the torso approximately three times. He was on the ground moaning, so I followed up with two point point blank shots to the head. I think maybe a third. I wanted to make sure he was dead because he had been tormenting my family. And the police officer says, what do you say? Why do you say low crawling? And he goes, that's how soldiers sneak up on their prey. I'm a hunter, killer, soldier. This is a battlefield and they're the enemy. And I dispatch with the enemies. I'm tired of my family having to live in fear and I'm tired of having my hands tied by the Titusville Police Department. I snapped. I have an FS Beretta 92 9mm two clips. I had 16 rounds loaded. My second clip was 15 rounds. I borrowed it from my father for home protection. The last visit that Officer Blank and Officer Blank... He names him, but I'm not going to. Redacted and redacted. The <laughs> last visit that redacted and redacted came by the house when we were in fear of our lives, when they, they said that they had firearms and they were going to shoot us. And I asked Officer Redacted if it would be appropriate for me to borrow fire, firearms for in-home protection. That was my ultimate goal. I never planned on it taking this option, but I snapped. You understand? I'm a disabled veteran with brain damage. I fell 12 feet headfirst into a concrete slab. I split my head like a melon. I have internal brain damage. I'm heavily medicated. That's what he said to the cop right after he got arrested. Unbelievable. Now, it goes to court, and, you know, they're they're seeking the premeditated murder, death penalty, Mm -hmm. all that other stuff. But his lawyers are like not guilty based on stand your ground. He was protecting his family. So this is going to be super boring, but I'm going to read stand your ground statute to you. Whereas the legislature finds that it's proper for law abiding people to protect themselves, their families and others from intruders and attackers without fear of prosecution or civil action for acting in defense of themselves and others. And whereas the castle doctrine is common law doctrine of ancient origins which declares that a person's home is his or her castle, and whereas Section 8 of Article 1 of the state constitution guarantees the right of people to bear arms in defense of themselves, whereas the persons residing in or visiting this state have a right to expect to remain unmolested within their homes or vehicles, and whereas no person or victim of crime should be required to surrender his or her personal safety to a criminal, nor should a person or victim be required to needlessly retreat in the face of intrusion or attack. And then his defense says, this right provides we and our children are not required to be prisoners in our own home when dangerous and erratic people threaten us. Neither the government nor its citizens need wait until they are attacked to respond. They're both entitled under law to perceive an imminent threat based on reasonable, available information. He'd utilized the resources in law enforcement and the courts, and he received no help. Having used the normal channels and having had been turned away, and with the threat to him and his family still president, a citizen of this state decided to defend his family. Under Florida law, he did not have to wait for someone to attack him with a gun or a machete, attack, sodomize, or gang rape his daughter before he acted to protect them. Individuals who engage in this type of antagonistic, threatening behavior have only themselves to blame when someone takes them seriously. And I'm going to read that last sentence again because I think it's super important. Individuals who engage in this type of antagonistic, threatening behavior have only themselves to blame when somebody takes them seriously. Well, Judge Moxie told them, stay away from each other. Yeah. I mean... But... They're threatening to kill his family. They're threatening to burn their house down. They're threatening to gang rape his daughter. Like, what the fuck did they expect? I know. Their main goal was to make him snap. They made him snap. Yeah. Fucking goal achieved. Congratulations. Yep. They did it. So, apparently, they, they, they weren't sure if the stand your ground would be enough either. So, they quoted the Bush Doctrine as well. For centuries, international law recognized that nations need not suffer an attack before they can lawfully take action to defend themselves against forces that present an imminent danger of attack. Legal scholars and international jurists offer conditioned legitimacy of preemption on the existence of an imminent threat, most often a visible mobilization of armies, navies, and air forces preparing to attack. We saw a visual mobilization of these people coming towards Billy's house. 
The United States has long maintained the option of preemptive actions to encounter a sufficient threat to our national security. The greater the threat, the greater the risk of inaction. Again, the greater the threat, the greater the Mm -hmm. risk of inaction. And the more compelling the case for taking anticipatory action to defend ourselves, even if uncertainty remains as to the time and place of the enemy's attack. To foresee, to forestall or prevent such hostile acts by our adversaries, the United States will, if necessary, act preemptively. And before anyone starts comparing a whole country's actions to one man, remember, he's got military training. This is what his government trained him to believe. So let me ask you, what's your opinion here? I I can't even answer. I I know. Because I thought it was going to be cut and dry. And then I'm like, this guy is like, he sees a fucking threat coming towards his family this night. Yeah. And it's this night. Like, he's moving the fuck out. He's got the trailer full of this fucking shit in the front yard. Like, they're moving out. They're gone. He has no reason other than the fact that he's watching their surveillance and he sees them coming Mm -hmm. for him. Not just sees him, all the comments that they made, too, that he overheard himself. Uh Uh-huh. And at one point, they're on his property saying that they have guns and they're coming in to rape I don't know. Those comments almost sounded like they were they were threatening to rape everybody. I don't know. There's there's no easy fix no. for this. And everybody's like, oh, call the police. And at one point he goes, the police take too long. And they're like, there was more than 10 minutes between this and this. And the police arrive within 10 minutes. Like, the, I didn't say everything from the case, obviously. I'm not going to sit here and read you 15,000 pages, but... Like, there's a lot of back and forth on some of it. And he's like, the police had not helped. The police had been called 86 times. Yep, I was just about to say that. And at this point, people are walking towards fucking house with guns or bats. And, oh, here's another thing, too. So the prosecution's like, we found no guns. We found no bats. We found nothing. And the defense is like, you didn't search their properties. Again, in their defense, the police didn't know to search the properties. Like, they didn't know to go look for guns and bats and shit inside their houses. But, yeah, so they're pretty sure that somebody fucking took all the weapons and, and, you know, hid them before the police arrived on scene. Of course. Yeah. So, in the end, he is convicted. He's guilty of two counts of second-degree murder and one count of attempted murder. And he ends up with life in prison. Without the possibility of parole? He did appeal, but he lost it. Um, I don't know if they're going to appeal some more. Like, you know, this was yeah, not that long ago, but but yeah. Unbelievable. Mm-hmm. It's one of those where, like, you can't even, you can't pick a side. No. Because on the one hand, of course, I'm going to defend my house. I'm going to defend mm-hmm. my kids and, you know, my family. These people were harassing exactly. everyone exactly. in the neighborhood. One of the neighbors wrote in the victim impact statements to the judge, Mm -hmm. one of the neighbors wrote, I would have done the same thing. They were harassing us, too. Nope. I'm glad he did this. Unreal. And I mean, I feel bad because, you know, you've got the three to 20 kids that don't have parents now. (laughs) I don't mean to make fun of victims, but man, when you're on a stand, be consistent with how many fucking kids you are. Don't change it from court case to court. Know know your lie and stick with it. Know your lie. There was a lot of fucking perjury by the defense witnesses that was proven and like, so I didn't do a lot of quotes from the defense, so it really sounds like this all read like I was in favor of, of Billy and what he did, and it wasn't that so much as the fucking witnesses for for the yeah. prosecution were just lying through their teeth every time they got on stand. So I'm like, I, I can't, I can't. Wow. Yeah, it was a really, really, really hard case. Because I'm like, oh, this one's easy. <laughs> yeah, okay. They never are. No, because, like, I'm starting to learn with doing this podcast. Like, there is no fucking black and white to a lot nope. of these. Not with law. No. There's no black and white with law. Such an area of gray. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if we get anything out of this, it's don't fucking provoke somebody. Yeah. Be a fucking grown up. Like, again, the name of the episode should be get the fuck inside. Like, come on. Like, a a judge has to sit there and tell you 
that this is what children do, be fucking adults and, and still nothing. Still like, because within hours of them leaving court, they were right back to that bullshit. Yeah. Not even hours. It was the 15 minute wait for him to get out of the fucking courthouse. Unreal. Again, I don't know why they couldn't have gotten the injunction. Not that I wanted him to get the injunction, but maybe things would have gone differently. You know, they they were provoked. They were telling everybody. Yeah. At one point, one of them's at a friend's house and she goes, I got to go. I think with the injunction, I think with the injunction, you really have to prove that there is imminent danger. Yeah. And at that point, a lot of it had just been he, he said, she said. Billy you know, brought, like, how many fucking witnesses? But he's, the judge was like, I'm not hearing your witnesses because I'm not granting the injunction. So that made sense. But <sighs> your, your case. So much. I, I know. You know I love the deep dive cases. I know. Though. And it feels good because for a while I was just kind of like. Surfacing. It, well, because of everything else going on yeah. lately, I'm just like. So, yeah, I was doing service cases, and, and this one, I'm like, I, I loved getting back into reading the court documents and everything. It I've said this sentence, like, three times. I'm going to say it again. I'm, I'm going to change it a little bit, but it, it's, like, the most important sentence in this entire fucking story. People only have themselves to blame when somebody takes you seriously. No shit. And believe people when they tell you who they are. Yes. Because these people showed their ass time and time again. Oh, they did actually show their ass too. I didn't mention <laughs> that part. <laughs> they were mooning the shit out of the camera. No, but I mean. There's this a- whole fucking part in the trial. What does he mean the whole hole when he's bending over? Like you fucking know what he means by the whole hole. Come on. Like you need to believe people when they tell you who they are. And they showed mm-hmm. you who they were time and time again. Yeah. And no one took it seriously. Right. So... I kept using the word the gang because that's what other people use. But come on. It became like a neighborhood fucking game. They Mm -hmm. were controlling the streets. Nobody was leaving their houses. I don't disagree with that statement. No, understood. So, yeah. Such a good case. Thank you. Way to go. Thank you. I I really dug into that one with with the 15,000 pages (laughs) of court documents. You just got to do one last thing. What? Where can they find us? Talking so much. Can you do it? No. <laughs> you can find us on our website fstcpod.com, which I recently gave yet another redesign to. I'm so much happier with the way it is right now though. Like I think I think she looks, she looks a lot cuter. Um have you seen it? Yes. I mean within the past two days because she yes. had a new one. <laughs> She's had three recently. A lot three of facelifts my girl has. I know because I was doing one for our job and I yes. came across, and I'm like, ooh. <laughs> I like this one. Job on hold. <laughs> anyway, go to fstcpod.com. See the latest look. Before it changes again. Before it changes again. <laughs> I am looking at another one right now. No, but no, no. I don't have time right now. But <laughs> there you'll find links to all of our social media, um, the merch store that, that we're currently using, the PayPal and Patreon donation links, yes. our sponsor page, which literally has like two words on it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we're on Facebook. Just search Freshly Squeezed True Crime for now. Uh, Twitter, we are FS True Crime. TikTok and Instagram are FSTC Pod. And I think that's it well you know what we always say what do you always say because i always get it wrong (laughs) may the juice be with you yeah i always think that you're gonna tell us to squeeze something (laughs) bye bye